Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into customer experience, but perhaps not from the perspective you would imagine. I first met my guest over 12 years ago. He was speaking at the University Caterers Organization Conference. And as I heard him talk, I was nodding like a dog. Every point he made, I agreed with. It felt like we were on exactly the same plane and I knew that I needed to work with him. After he finished his presentation, we chatted and so began our relationship. 12 years on, I can say that without a shadow of a doubt, he is one of the nicest people I have ever met. And he's also super, super good at what he does. He's been totally supportive of my career. When I made that transition from being in work to having my own business, he brought me in on a leadership project. And I will never forget that. It was for the ambulance service. And my goodness, did we learn a lot. He started out his career with the John Lewis Partnership. And for the past 10 years, has been working as a consultant in his own business engaging service. He specializes in employee engagement and customer experience. And pre-COVID, he spent much of his time traveling the globe as a conference speaker. I'm delighted he's joining us today. Please welcome Andrew McMillan. Thank you, Mel. That was a remarkable introduction. Very flattering. Thank you. Very kind of you. You're very welcome. That journey from trainee at John Lewis Partnership to your own consultancy business. Share a little bit about your journey. Okay, so um, it was a long time at John Lewis. I was there 28 years. I started as a management trainee, as you said, and spent 18 years running teams in shops. And I think that was important. I kind of look back and at the time, particularly towards the end of that 18 year period, I was getting quite frustrated because I wanted bigger jobs in head office. And I'd seen other people fly past me and and get those bigger jobs and usual big kind of corporate thing that it was a little bit frustrating but actually when you look back now with the benefits of hindsight 18 years operational was really good because i've actually done it so rather than you know have us read half a dozen books on strategy and decide i'm a leadership expert or whatever it might be i've actually done it around the country with different sized teams different environments admittedly all the same business so by the time i went into head office which is to run an internal consultancy for a, a couple of years i was fairly well versed in leading people and managing teams and come across you know some wonderful situations and some horrific situations in that time so it really helped and then had the customer service for the department store group for eight years and then left in 2008 which if you remember was a seriously bad year to have chosen to leave 
to start your own business because it was that horrendous recession we had. And I left in the May pretty much. And of course, the economy hit the buffers in July. Fortunately, rather than start my own business, I wasn't as brave as you were um, when I left proper employment. I um, went in for another job with a boutique consultancy in the city of London and that was really valuable as well because I learned an awful lot there about managing clients working with clients selling propositions that kind of thing so I did a couple of years with them and then finally set out on my own which had been the plan all along but as I said I wasn't quite as brave to you as you were to make the jump from your regular employment into your own business I kind of had this segue with the consultancy who were wonderful they taught me an awful lot that I had some good friends there and that's when we worked together and I think whichever way route you do you got to where you wanted to be in the end John Lewis has always and still is been synonymous with service and I know that that's your area of specialism but Today, we're going to look at it from a a slightly different perspective, aren't we, in terms of not looking at service as in the service that we give our customers, but as leaders, the service that we provide to our teams. Yeah, absolutely. And the strapline on my website, for want of a better word, is the employee engagement, customer experience and the leadership that links the two. And it took me about three years to come up with that. It's unbelievable. I had about 10 iterations of it or felt like 100 iterations of it. But yes, it's that kind of internal service that if you have a great leader looking, creating a great team, the customer experience flows from that quite naturally. So rather than training customer experience from the outside in, which is what a lot of organisations do, and John Lewis did that at, at times as well, you were sent off on a customer training, a customer service training course, and within three weeks you'd forgotten about it. If it's actually built from the inside out, it's much more powerful, has more integrity, more depth, more sustainability. So yeah, I'm a big fan of that. And so am I, because that's what we did when we worked together, and it is incredibly powerful if people are listening to this and think well that's great I love that idea how do I bring that to fruition I know you have a process I do and it's a lot of common sense really and it's all kind of fairly obvious thing for me is actually having some kind of defined purpose around behavior and attitude that makes a really big difference and the one that you've seen me use plenty of times before and I still use it because it's generic but it's wonderful in its simplicity is Ritz-Carlton hotels in the U.S who talk about people being welcome, wanted, remembered and cared for. But the important thing is with any behaviour and attitude statement like that, and they do it beautifully, is that they do it for each other before they aim to do it for guests. So you've got a seamless transition between, I don't like the word culture because it can mean all sorts of different things like uniforms and car parking spaces and a myriad of, of, of different things. But for want of a better word, you have the same culture inside as you're trying to apply to your customers on the outside. Uh, And that's really powerful. It's hard to do and it requires an awful lot of rigor, but it's quite simple. Somebody um, put on LinkedIn a few couple of years ago, and I have this on my website as well because I really loved it. Being a loved organization isn't rocket science. You've just got to be lovely. It's simple, but not easy. And it kind of crystallized for me what the struggle I've had for the last few years where people think, well, this is blooming obvious. It's so simple. We don't really need anybody to help us do it. And theoretically, you don't because there's not much intellectual content to it. It's kind of stating the obvious, but it's the rigour and the determination and the just continued doggedness to implement it that you need because it doesn't happen overnight. And in John Lewis, I'd say the change that we were trying to make there, where we weren't in a bad place, but we knew we could be in a better place. This is going back to my my appointment as, as customer service in 2000. 
It took three years before we started seeing any signs. Now, admittedly, that was an organisation of 30,000 people spread across 26 shops and distribution centres around the UK. So it's a big organisation, but it took three years. And that's the kind of relentless focus that you need. And that was just seeing glimmers. It took five years before it was kind of embedded. And even then you couldn't take your foot off the gas. You got to really make sure you were routinely challenging it and encouraging it and supporting it and maintaining it. And that's the bit where, where most organisations fall down. They think this is jolly easy. We'll do a customer service training programme, maybe use my framework or something similar. And then we've done that for the year. Well, you haven't because it'll start unravelling very quickly. Uh, it's a long term job and a, a, a consistent job. You're so right. You need the champions in the business that, that get it. There's that momentum at the start and everyone's excited and it's rah, 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 and this is going to revolutionise us. But then there's the day-to-day and, and doing it day in, day out, which can sometimes be quite challenging when you're a manager with lots and lots of other things to do. Um, and so having that external person walking alongside you, just nudging you is really helpful. That was definitely my experience. And I guess that's the journey that you took as head of customer service for John Lewis. I think the biggest challenge there really was trying not to do everything myself because there's a big difference between running a team of 60 people in Oxford Street, which is the last selling team that I ran for John Lewis back in the late 90s, to running a team of uh, uh, effectively 30,000 people nationally. And I remember my boss, who was fantastic, great boss I had in that role, who was the retail ops director at the time, let me kind of trail blaze around the country for a few weeks, trying to visit every shop as often as I could. And then sat me down and said, if you carry on like this, you will kill yourself. Um, You've got to find a way of spreading your influence when you're not actually there. And it was a really big learn. But you do that and you find your champions. And as you say, people who really get it, nurture them and create a team of them. And it starts to build a life of its own, which is fantastic when you've got that. That, That's, again, people kind of say to me occasionally, oh, you know, we can give this a year or how long will it take? And you're just saying, well, it's forever. If you start this, you've got to do it forever. The other thing I've started doing with a couple of clients recently, which worked really well, just to be that kind of niggling in the side and saying, well, what about the customer? And what about the customer experience? And what about the employee engagement? Um, Is taking on a non-exec director role for a year or 18 months, which may only be three or four or five meetings with them. Probably no more than that over an 18 month period but just while they're actually settling down so they don't go back into default operational mode and take the customer off the agenda, just me turning up at the board meeting saying, have we thought about this and how are your customer service scores or however they've chosen to measure it because measurement's a big important part of this. Um, you know, let me see your stats before the meeting so I can kind of challenge you a little bit. And that's quite fun. You've got to be careful because you want to provoke and cajole, but you don't want to get thrown out. So there's a kind of line that you've got to tread. But if you don't provoke, you're wasting their time and money. So it's just fine finding the balance. But um, that's useful to keep their eye on the ball as well. And that piece that you mentioned about measurements, I mean, obviously what we're talking about today, employee engagement, customer experience, it is quite a fluffy subject. And so typically people say, oh, well, we can't measure that. And I certainly remember the first time that I worked with you and you came in and you know you said to me Mal we we need to put some measures around this and I was like measures really how are we going to do this but actually by diving deep into that and saying actually if this happens if this is how we treat our employees this is how we treat our customers what impact is that going to have and it was a knock-on effect and actually we came up with some really really robust 
measures. And I think that if you're trying to sell this into an organization, you're you're somebody that believes in this and you want your organization to adopt this policy, then actually doing that work is really valuable because what it means is that for the, the people like you and I that, that know that just instinctively know this stuff works, but those other people that, you know, maybe look after the finances, they want to know the outcomes of everything, which is understandable, then actually having those tangible measures is really, really important. Well, the other thing keeps everyone on their toes, I, I'm sure I've told you this story before, but I, I, and it sounds made up to illustrate a point, but I swear it's true. I, I mustn't blurt out the business because they'll probably sue me. I was working with a very big automotive distribution retail group about four or five years ago, and I was going through the kind of six-step framework that I use, which is define, measure it, which we're talking about, communicate it continually, um, tell stories about it, lead, so the leaders modelling the behaviour and, and coaching it in others, which I'm sure we'll come to, uh, and then appraisal and recruitment being tied up to the behaviour, so not just measuring the outcomes that people achieve, but the way they achieve them. And I was talking to their chief executive, who's a lovely guy, and he said, we've done all this behaviour stuff before. I said, have you? And uh, I swear this is true, we were sitting in their boardroom, and he was at the far end of the table, he wasn't doing a Putin on me, I wasn't at the other end, um, gazing, gazing across the table, I sat, sat towards him, but he got his back to the wall and I said so and you tell me what they are and I swear there's a framed picture of these values on the boardroom wall behind where he was sitting and he had no idea what they were and they'd done them about two years ago and I said look if you don't know what's the chances of somebody washing an Audi and crew of part of your valet team this afternoon what's the chances of them knowing it's just not going to happen but if you measure it and people are given some gentle internal competition on, on achieving the minimum standards, minimum scores, however you want to work it. And there's a myriad of ways which would depend on the organisation. It will always be a thorn in your side that you will have every quarter or every month or every half year some customer and employee engagement statistics which will come at you and tell you how well your business is doing beyond the pure commercial side. Although, of course, if you get them right, when we prove this at John Lewis, it does enhance the commercial side as well. There is a very strong link there. Um, which we can manage to correlate in, in John Lewis by, again, looking, it was simple stuff, looking at those people who had the best employee engagement scores in their departments, invariably on exit surveys and customer focus groups had the best customer scores as well. It wasn't a perfect correlation, but it was close. Absolutely. And as you mentioned there, you've, you have your six-step process. And as you quite rightly suggested, I would like to go back to the step that is about leading and how, how you lead this? Uh, one of the challenges that I've seen, and we have the same problem with John Lewis, is that historically we had this wonderful heritage of a lot of managers who've been promoted because they were subject matter experts. So they were a fantastic salesperson in audio and TV or a brilliant chef, and we make them head of catering um, for that branch, or we'll make them a manager in the audio department. And all he did in a lot of cases was take some wonderful salespeople away from the shop floor and away from customers because the skill set isn't the same. Being a great salesperson for audio and TV doesn't mean you can manage the audio and TV team. And I thought that was exclusive to John Lewis, and we were the only business stupid enough to do that. But then I could start working in my own consultancy and realise it's not only all over the UK, across every sector. Um, but when I spent six months in um, Southeast Asia a couple of years ago working for a big organisation there, it's, it's spread into eight countries in Southeast Asia as well, and I'm assuming everything in between, because it's just a legacy of command and control leadership that somebody who's either got 
long service is reliable, decent sort of person will make them a manager. Uh, and it might have worked years ago, decades ago, but even before my time, I don't think it would have worked. It's about identifying the right sort of person who's got the right self-belief and self-confidence, self-esteem to want to do this. And I think making that conversion, and I, I don't want to get into semantics because people will, will take definitions differently, but for me, a manager is a functional expert. Then I'm not saying management isn't necessary. Absolutely, is to make sure things get done on time, get done to the right standard. But it's quite functional. Um, and then the leading is actually bringing people together to coalesce around a kind of core objective and be proud of what they do and take pride in looking after each other and looking after their customers and enjoying themselves and having fun and work as a result. And those are the two parts of a manager's role, but the leader can get neglected quite often, which is where it kind of goes wrong uh, in terms of what we need in business at the moment. I, I think it's getting better. Um, you hear, I was with the client last week and they're saying we've developed a really strong coaching culture here. And I said, show me, and they were wonderful. They, they've really made huge strides because if you're coaching, you've got to be leading and as opposed to just managing. The problem is threefold. And I tend to take it in this order as well. I never like to assume that people aren't capable of doing the jobs they're in when I'm working with an organisation because that's unfair on the individual, it's unfair on the organisation. But sometimes you'll think, yes, they're a real operational specialist because they go scurrying away to look at spreadsheets or sit in an office every time they can rather than talking to their team. So you can sense it early on sometimes. But I don't like to make snap decisions. So you first of all assume that actually it's the organisation's fault and not the individual's if they're spending too much time managing rather than leading. And just do a bit of activity analysis with them, say, do you have time to do this? Or are there so many emails coming in a day? I, I coached a lady recently from a, a big London council who was having three to 400 emails a day, but yet was being criticised for her boss for not spending enough time with her team. Uh, and there's a culture within that organisation of you must clear your inbox every day. And it was just impossible. And she was very stressed to the point that she'd made herself ill. And was saying, look, you know, just dump some of the emails. Can't expect this person to do everything and you will you'll have severe problems with them and for them if you do. So making sure there's genuine opportunity to do the leadership stuff, because it does take some time. Maybe you've heard me do this before, but I talk about 80-20 if you have to. You'd love 50-50 between the management side and the leadership, but it's probably not realistic. But you'd like I'd like 80-20 really. Um, which is one day a week. So, you know, can you dedicate one day a week to spending time with your team to find out how they are, coaching them, supporting them, developing them? And of course, it's not just on, on a Tuesday. You've got to actually spread the one day, the, the effect of the one day across five days of the week. But it's a big commitment. It's a really big commitment. But this stuff doesn't move forward unless you find the time to do that. So the opportunity is the first, first challenge. And that's a really big one. Most organisations, if they do any leadership development, do leadership skills training. And actually, if there's no opportunity to apply those newly learned skills or, or revised or revisited skills, all you do is create frustration. So you've got to really be sure there's the opportunity to lead to start with. Then you can apply the skills so that people might be thinking, well, I've now got my one day a week spare in my across the week. I can do this in. That's great. How do I do it? The skill is absolutely relevant then, so the, the training is important. And then the final question, which comes back to what you said earlier, is do they want to do it? And I think you've got to take it in that order if you're looking at existing managers in organisations. So have you got the opportunity? Is it our fault that you're not performing? Have you got the skill and can we support you with some more coaching skills and training and, and 
having difficult conversations and all the classic stuff which has its place but then if you're still not doing it do you really want to do it and, and those are the dis- difficult decisions particularly if somebody's been in post for 10 years as an operational specialist when really now we're looking for them to be a leader and that's a legacy challenge I think well we face in this country but seemingly over across the world as well I ranted on a lot there but I feel quite strongly about this stuff I know if I look across my client base, they are still often the people that have been there the longest. And it almost feels like a rite of passage. I've been here five, 10 years, and therefore I, I necessarily should be promoted. But actually, there's two things, isn't there? There's the organisation looking and saying, does this person have the skills that they need? And if not, can we equip them with that and the time that you said? But also from the other perspective about that real self-reflection about is this what I want just to be clear Mel, I didn't mean for a second that somebody who's who's been in a role for 20 years can't move up to the next role and do an amazing job they absolutely can and if you've got somebody who's got the self-belief and attitude to take on the senior role they're a gift because they've got all that experience as well but the experience alone won't cut it so but, but I'm not suggesting for a minute that people who've been in post for a long time in the junior role can't move up they, they can and should providing it's for the right reasons and because it's not fair on them it's not just the organization it's the individual then suddenly finds themselves in a in a situation where they've been asked to lead and do coaching and difficult conversations and all that other stuff some of which is wonderful some of which is less than wonderful that comes with those roles um and, and feeling uncomfortable absolutely i know that people if they want to know more about the six step process and i have been through that six step process and it is well worth it, can obviously get in touch with you. But as you say, you've experienced so much in your career. You've worked with so many different clients. I mean, obviously you had John Lewis, but I know the range of clients you've worked with since you've had your own consultancy business. When for you have you had to dive deep? Well, there were two. I'm going to do two, actually, if I can, if I, if I may take up the time, because I think there were two where I was really challenged. One of them I've already mentioned, and it was when I moved from John Lewis from working in a branch where you've got a, a set team around you all the time who you get to know really well and you can you know who's great who's not so great who needs support who needs less support to moving to a national role where John Lewis at the time you know 26 shops 30,000 people a couple of call centers as well and trying to have influence nationally rather than locally and that was really hard and as I mentioned my boss had said you know you will kill yourself if you keep going out and traveling and, and working the hours that you're doing and you had I suppose it sounds terrible actually given the why I do this for a living these days but it was learning to trust and empower other people because I really felt I needed to do things quickly. I've been given this great central responsibility. I was really excited and proud about it, but I needed to do it all myself because I needed to know what was going on. And it was a kind of almost micromanagement on a national scale, which is why I would have killed myself if I'd have carried on at the rate I was. So that was a biggie. And the other one that's hard, and this is probably less relevant for your listeners if most of them are actually in corporate organizations, was actually starting my own business and actually losing the fact that I had teams around me that was really hard because just stupid things like do you want a cup of tea or can you believe what this client's just said or can you believe what they've asked for or just just those conversations I've got a little worst silent Terry called Archie who sits under my desk and he listens to most of it but he doesn't respond very much that's the only problem two great and very different examples but I guess show that it's those transitions that can be difficult and it's having that self-awareness to think how am I behaving? Is this helpful to me? Is it helpful to my team? 
So I'm just interested, if we just dive into that a little bit, when, when you made that transition in John Lewis and you got that feedback from your line manager about you need to take it easy, how did you do that? I suppose by realising what was staring me in the face all the time, that I had some really good people in the branches. There was usually one person on the senior management team within a branch who was given customer experience, customer service, whatever it was called, different things at different times, where it's customer experience now. But they were, they were given the responsibility for to head it up for that shop. So they had a dotted line. Well, what we created was a dotted line to me. So I had no structural authority over them and I wouldn't have wanted it either. But I did have some influence over them in as much as they will be my point of contact in Peter Jones or John Lewis Oxford Street or Newcastle or wherever. And by and large, those people were fantastic. There was a couple that weren't and we worked on those and they either improved or, or moved on. But by and large, realising that those people were fantastic and I could trust them. And, and actually, it went the other way around in time that they'd be sending me stuff. And we had this news bulletin that I used to edit every month, which shared ideas coming from around the country. So we spread the best practice around the UK. That's when we really started accelerating with this stuff. Um, and they were there all the time. It was just having the confidence to use them, really. What wonderful insight for people is that we are surrounded by people that have an incredible set of skills and talents. We just sometimes don't see them. Well, yes. And the fact that John Lewis was stupid enough to appoint a manager who couldn't see them for himself as well. You know, that wasn't a great move on their part. But there you go. I'd probably beg to differ on that last point. So we've dived deep. So now, of course, in my world, we have to climb high. So when have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree? Just seeing seeing the business the business succeed. That's the big difference with corporate and, and running your own business. That with corporate, you think it's tough when you've got people saying, could you improve this and could you do that? And here are some objectives for you on your annual review. And you think that's quite hard. It's a lot harder on your own business when you don't get hired again. That's a fairly black and white uh, fortunately, that hasn't happened to me, but you're conscious that it always could. So I think actually when I get clients like, like such as yourself who are kind enough to keep in touch, I've just started working for another London council because of the person that moved from the council I was working with previously in London has got a new senior post in another council, phoned me up and said, I need some help. That's probably my climbing tree moments, really, because that's, although you're always grateful for the endorsements of a line manager in a corporate setting, actually a client coming back to you and saying, we'd like to see hire you again in a different context is probably more powerful actually because they're paying for it and it's it's not just an annual report that sits on a file it's it's something much bigger than that so I, th I think that's probably my tree moment actually thank you so much I mean we could just chat I could chat to you all day but other people to experience what I've experienced how can they get in touch with you um well the easiest way is the website um which has got an inquiries address on the back of it which is engagingservice.com I also I feel slightly uncomfortable about the website because when you're a one-man band as I am although I have wonderful associates who occasionally help me, don't I? I always feel a bit, in the, the, the website's a bit indulgent because it talks about me and there's videos of me and there's pictures of me and you think, oh God, you know, this is horrible, but it's kind of what you have to do. And I've got my head around that almost after over 10 years. Um, so that's probably quite a useful re resource. It talks about the framework. It talks about the steps. It's got some of the quotes that I've talked about today. You can bear to watch it. There's endless videos of me on YouTube with a channel as well. And a lot of those replicated on the website. So that's probably the best way. And I'd be delighted if anybody does want to get in touch. And the videos are well worth a watch. And you hang out on LinkedIn as well, don't you? I do. It's the only social media I use. Brilliant. And I will put all those links in the show notes as well so people can get in touch with you i have so enjoyed our conversation today and revisiting those moments from from many years ago but 
for, for me, still represent great success and just what can be achieved when we turn customer service, customer focus from being outwards to inwards. So thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. How would you like to leave the listeners today? What would you like to say to them as your your final words of wisdom? On the leadership stuff, keep it simple. 80-20 rule, try and spend one day a week with your team and get to know them really well and support them. Simple, simple stuff, but hard to do. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Luizu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple podcast five-star review. Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't.